0: beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The trying God created all things in Him, by Him, and through Him. A life in relationship with the Father, the Spirit, the Messiah. God's house. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're very glad that you're with us. Everyone who um, is joining us for the first time online and in addition to all of that, um, those who are joining us for the first time at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show everyone some love who's here for the first time. Well, hey, it's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Uh, It's just good to be in God's house and to worship with one another. And uh, today um, I pick up on week three of our series entitled Messiah, and I'm excited to do that. In addition, I have a special announcement. We have um, gifts for everyone as we go. Um, We have devotionals um, that we're going to be handing to everyone as you leave today. Um, If you're joining us online, you can access the, the devotional on the True North app. Um, And our team put this devotional together. They went through um, each day, um, we're going to go through a chapter together as a family. Now, starting tomorrow, we'll be exactly 21 days from Easter. There are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. And so we will, as a family, go through um, the Gospel of John together. Can you say amen? How many of you think you can do it? How many of you think you can do it? You actually can do it. Now look at the person next to you and just say, I'm gonna hold you to that. No, I'm just kidding. You don't, you don't have to, but um, we... we We are being um, intentional about dedicating our time and our focus as a family to biblical literacy. We wanna know what the Bible says. We wanna make sure that we're instructed by the word of God so that our lives reflect it. And um, how many of you know that um, when you pursue Jesus, he often takes you to places that you would never go on your own. Um, He takes you to places that you know you can't survive in your own strength. Um, And the more you grow in your maturity of God, Um, the more dependent you become upon him. And you find in your journey with the Lord that, and I don't know what it is. It is this this awkward revelation that you feel inadequate, but in your inadequacies, you feel that he fills all the voids. So there's this weird sense of, man, I can't, but you can. And, and so God, I, I realize. and do you know, do you know why I love God is, is maybe I, I appreciate his patience more than anything else. Does anyone have children and they're learning just a new level of patience, like a new level of patience? Um, just pray for me. Um, because I, I'm serious. I'm not getting Pray for me because I have four children and, um, I, you know, you think you have an attribute or a characteristic like, yeah, I'm patient. I'm fine. And then you're surrounded with, with children. And you're like, I need that word. I, I need whatever that is on the other side of The definition, or that definition, I need that, and so I'm grateful for the patience that God has towards us when we don't get it. We just don't get it. We 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 come into church. We may not understand everything, and, and God's just patient with us. He's patient with us. He's patient with us when we don't when we don't see Him at work in our lives. He's patient with us when when we are indifferent to the things that He's doing. He's patient with us when when our motives are wrong and they're impure. He's he's patient with us when we're faithless. He's patient with us when we're arrogant and prideful. He's patient with us. And he's patient with us because he wants us to come to a place of healing and restoration and wholeness. The gospel of John is a fascinating text. It's a fascinating book. And Unlike the other three Gospels, which are often referred to as the synoptic Gospels, or seen through the same lens, the the Gospel of John is quite unique and distinct. Some theologians would describe the very beginning or the first sentence of the Gospel of John as being one of the most complex and concise theological statements or expressions in the entire Bible. It was actually stated by St. Augustine, he said that, it is beyond the power of man to speak as John does in his prologue or in his introduction. This gospel is so interesting because all of the gospels have a interesting way of framing how they saw Jesus and they had an intentionality of how to um, not portray him, but what they wanted others to see. Do you know? As we talked in weeks past, God is always about revealing Himself to humanity. He's always been in the business of revelation, and He's revealing Himself to us. And for some of us here today, maybe you've never really, you've never seen God in the way of your need of him. Like, I need God. And, and maybe you've been in a relationship with the Lord for many years. And the fascinating thing about it is he's constantly showing himself to us. And we can never arrive at a point and be like, well, I just know. I just know, okay, Pastor, I've been in church my whole life. I just know. And here there were men who walked with Jesus nearly the entire time of his ministry here on earth and still yet, can they comprehend the majesty and the significance of all that Jesus embodied? And so when we read the word of God, the Bible says that it's alive and active. <laughs> and it, it, it speaks to us all in a specific way, in a specific season. And this gospel is uniquely different. It says many theologians would suggest that this specific gospel was written around 85 AD, in addition to this gospel, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were also penned around that time. About 10 years after that, scholars seem to think that he had put together or wrote out through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Revelation. Now, this is interesting to know that John is the only disciple who was not martyred for the faith. He was the only one who was not crucified or stoned to death or, or, or executed because of his faith. He had a special assignment, but just like he has a special assignment, you have a special assignment and I have a special assignment. And I believe that God needs all of us to, to fulfill our assignments, to run our race, to stay focused to the, to the call that he has on our lives. And the only way that we often get off, off course is if we, sit, if we spend so much of our lives focused on other people and other things going on. <laughs> This this season of, of life has caused many of us to fix our eyes on all that's broken and everything that's not right. And whether it be in family or whether it be with our health or whether it be with politics or whether it be with... Um, society at large, we have become obsessed with focusing on everything that is wrong. And the Bible tells us those who are in Christ to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Does it mean that we are apathetic towards the things that are happening around us? No, but the word of God declares that we fix our eyes on Christ and he navigates us and guides us and directs us. And above everything else, he keeps our heart at the right place. You can't help anyone if this goes, goes wrong. Everyone wants to help. You can't help anyone if this goes wrong. If it's filled with bitterness and discord and hatred towards one another, if it's filled with malice and discontent for the things that are before us and so worried about the things in the past. and You, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't lead people to reconciliation if, if your heart is, is wrong. That's why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows a wellspring of life. You can't give life... First and foremost, if you don't first have it and the way that you receive life is from the one who is life and that's Christ. And so John begins in his gospel to articulate um, Jesus, maybe in a way that you've never seen him before. Remember, it's all about seeing him and, and, and he wants people to see Jesus And he's very intentional about it. He's very specific about it. He's not trying to be random and he's not saying, hey, I want you to know every single thing. No, 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 no. Actually, in chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, this is what John writes. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, those that are within it, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, John would also focus, will focus primarily on seven miracles. And the other gospels highlight different miracles, but John would focus primarily on seven. And all of those miracles really display the divinity of Christ, the divinity of Christ, that he's both fully God and fully man. He's fully God, able to do all things, but yet fully man to, to resignate and experience our pain and our own brokenness. John begins in verse one by saying, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, if you frame that to the other gospels, you begin to immediately see a distinction that John isn't interested in giving you the backstory about Jesus' childhood and his birth and all the different scenarios and situations, not because it's not important, but John has a specific intention. He wants you to see that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word Was God. We learned last week that first words are important, didn't we? And Doc Mannion began to teach us about how important first words are. And um, I have, uh, as you know, younger children, and when I get home from the end of the day, Uh, they all wanna talk at the same time. I still haven't figured this out yet, how how to do this, but um, they all wanna talk at the same time. And we've tried the patience thing and it's just, I don't know, maybe they have what I have. And and so each one of them wants to speak at the same time and it usually forms into some type of altercation. But um, some days when they seem to, acquiesce uh, and let others speak before them, uh, they'll get so excited, they'll get so excited, they'll start telling me a story and they pick up like in the middle of the story. I have no idea what they're talking about. And so I want to interrupt them, but if I interrupt them, then they melt down and start screaming and then freak out. And and so usually um, when they start when they start rambling, I just say, at the beginning, at the beginning, at the beginning, just start at the beginning. And they go, okay, dad, you know? And, and they start somewhere, but it's never at the beginning. And, and, and so I'm left in a place of confusion and, and I don't fully understand. And I love when a story is at the beginning because everything else seems to make sense afterward. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you're like, well, yeah, isn't that normal? Not always in conversation. Sometimes people start and they make assumptions that you already know what has transpired. And I think we do that in church a lot. We assume that everyone is already at the same place. Can I, can I help some of you in just knowing this? At the end of every one of our services, we give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And we'll do the same today. And we who are in Christ, we do not look at that as a common or ordinary thing. We don't just say, oh, this is a time for all those who are, who are infants in the Lord. No, if you are mature in the Lord, you see that as the, the, the pinnacle moment of the gathering of the saints. It is a pinnacle moment because it is the, the, the most powerful demonstration of, of, of the reconciliation and the salvation that comes through Christ. Evident amongst us when people say, I choose Jesus, when people go from death to life, it's something so powerful and it happens every Sunday. Why? Because people who gather with us on Sundays and watch online have never heard about Jesus. Years ago when I was, I don't like saying that because it makes me feel old, but I I was coaching wrestling at, at at, at Clearview High School and and um, I remember in conversation with um, some of the wrestlers, it was at a tournament. And there were some wrestlers from another high school and there were some wrestlers from the school that I was coaching. And, and one of them said, hey, hey, tell him what you do. Tell them what you do. And I'm like, who and I was like, yeah, like, the tell me you're a pastor. Tell me you're a pastor. <laughs> and I was like, he's not asking me. You want me to just tell him. I'm not doing that. It's weird. I'm not just going to tell him. And he's like, I already did, but you just tell him to be cool. I'm like, okay. I was like, I'm a pastor of a church. He goes, that's like, what do you, you know, what do you guys do, you know? And kind of like the high school sophomore, junior personality, like they're just too cool. You can't tell them anything, you know what I mean? You you, you are, if you're out of high school, you're old, outdated, you are useless, you are a loser, you are like everything. So it's kind of like, they just give you like, yeah, whatever, you know? I'll listen to you because I have to, all right? But I don't really care what you have to say. And, and so I had this conversation with this young person and, and I realized Two minutes into the conversation, they had no clue who Jesus was, like none. And so I kind of just paused, and, and, I, and I, I feel horrible about my even response to this, but I was so shocked, and I just said, hey, you've heard of Jesus. They're like, yeah, you know, high school, they won't admit when they don't know either. So he's like, yeah, I know, like cross and stuff. Like, Who doesn't know? I was like, you have no idea who Jesus is. He's like, no one ever told me. And I, I would, if you would have told me that a mile or two from our church in our season of life that there would be young people who have never even heard the name of Jesus, I would say you're crazy. But we live in a time of day where children are not raised in the ways of the Lord. We have a generation that's being raised that's saying just pursue what you, have, what you want to. Serve whatever you want. Place your hope and your faith in whatever you want. People are lost and they're hopeless and they're broken. And there are people today who desperately need Jesus as we do. And so when people gather together, they they gather together maybe out of, when people come, maybe out of curiosity because they see there are cars in the parking lot or they hear that people are watching online, whatever it may be. But people are seeking something. But initially they don't know. They're looking for Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word, was with God and the Word was God. It is the mirror image of the beginning of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, we see how John f- wraps this and he speaks as Jesus being the Word, the Word. Jesus is the Word. To the Jews, this Greek word, logos, had roots in the Old Testament. It simply meant a communicating power or a creative energy of God. So the Jews were familiar when John would use this word logos. They they had an understanding of what he meant. But it was different to the Greeks. The Greeks' understanding of logos had this sense of embodied thought and wisdom and reason and rationality. Though it was distinctly different from the Jews, they understood that Jesus was the word or Jesus was the logos. In... Psalm 33, verse 6, we see that even King David wrote about the power of the Word of God. He said that by the Word of the Lord were the heavens made. <laughs> David, in, in all of his splendor and majesty as a king, he, he knew that, that God formed the heavens and the earth through his Word. Yeah. Through their starry host, by the breath of his mouth, the heavens were made. And then beyond the Jew and the Greek, there were those who believed in Jesus, Christians as they were called. And and John presents Jesus as the Word, as being a personal being, but yet fully divine. Fully divine, yet fully human. And John brilliantly communicated who who Jesus was to both the Jew, to the Greek, and to the believer, to the Christian. And those who were in the audience and the readers of his gospel who desperately wanted to know who he was, he would convey to them that Jesus is divine. He is the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's who you witnessed. That's who was before us. (laughs) Jesus. So when we begin to open the word and we begin to look at it and we know that Jesus came to bring us life, what type of life did he come to bring us? You, Paul elaborated on this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for in him all things. <laughs> I love this. All things were created. All things. You know, um, if you ever get a chance to get out of New Jersey, sometimes I think we speak of it like a prison. It feels like that sometimes. But um, if you ever get a chance to get out of New Jersey and you travel to the West Coast or you visit Wyoming or my, my uncle lives in Montana and and um, you'll see some some sights, and it's just you get to see the majesty and the splendor of God, and you see the Grand Canyon and other things, and and it's just you look at it and you're you're kind of like just taken back. All things were created through Him. To know that nothing accidentally comes to being, that there is a designer behind all things, the world teaches something very different. The world would suggest to you that you are nothing more than a random accident that over millions of years and molecules and cells and bouncing around the universe that you somehow were created. And not only that, not only was man created, but distinctly a female was created just randomly and that they could randomly procreate and produce life. But scripture teaches us otherwise. John moves forward from verse one to verse two and he says, he was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has not been made. Nothing. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I love how he portrays Jesus in his divinity and says that, no, that he is the word of God. And he has been ever since the beginning, if there was a beginning, but he has never began, nor will he end. He is described as the alpha and the omega. And in his brilliance, John writes that in him is life. And within that life, we find light. And he says, the light shines in the midst of the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. I suppose I'm captivated by that because that's how the Bible describes those who are in Christ, that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth. And I I remember dwelling upon that thinking and pacing back and forth in my office saying, man, things, people are struggling, there's issues going on. And um, over the past year, our pastoral team and our staffs our staff uh, pastors have, have ministered so well. I'm so proud of them in the way that they've ministered to people. And you may, well, you wouldn't know unless I told you, and I won't share in all detail, but the amount of phone calls and visits and prayers that they had to have over the last six to 12 months have been significant. Um, serious phone calls, um, tearful phone calls, overwhelming phone calls, and so people have dealt with many things over this past year. But, you know, it's not the first time that we've dealt with things. It's not the first time that we've dealt with difficulty. And I remember thinking, man, this is so difficult. I, I don't know how we're going to get through this and what we're going to do and all those things. But I just knew that I knew that I knew that if Jesus is for us, who can be against us? And, and no weapon formed against us will prosper, right? And so if God's for us, we're going we're gonna to use wisdom and we're going to trust in the Lord. And we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And and we're going to have confidence in it. I'm just, uh, you will not find truth from the world. And so seek if you may, but you won't find it. We find truth in the written word of God. And, 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 and I I finally just, it was just like the light bulb went off. And I said, it was as if the Holy Spirit just says, how, how do we see you? How are you, how are you called? I'm a child of light." It would be problematic if I, if I wasn't, but I'm, I'm not. I'm seen as a child of light. So no matter how dark it gets around me, I illuminate the darkness. And Scripture says the darkness shall not overcome it. so <laughs> wherever I go, there's going to be light. Why? Because of my significance? No, because the Spirit of God dwells within me. And so it can get dark around me, but wherever I go, the light of God will be present. And you got to see yourself like that. you got to know the Spirit of God is in you a conquering spirit, a victorious spirit. Not a defeated spirit, not a broken spirit, not a weak spirit, but a confident and bold and strong spirit. Why? Because of what you can do in your flesh, your flesh means nothing when it comes to the spirit. But the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave now dwells and lives within us, abides, dwells, inhabits us. John writes in Verse four, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I said that Paul reiterated this same thing in Colossians. He says, for in him, all things were created. But he goes further to say, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I remember studying after I was reading John 10.10. 10, and I remember because it was a profound verse to me because it describes distinctly the difference between the enemy, our adversary, Satan, and our Savior and our Messiah and our Lord, Jesus Christ. And it says, a thief comes only, only. No, some, of it, some of us, need to, we need to get this. The scripture says that the thief comes only. Some of us think that the thief is coming like to, you know, to cause you to back into a car in the parking lot or to like, and I don't prophesy that over anyone's life, okay? Or like or for this little thing to happen. No, that's, sometimes life just happens, okay? There's gonna be challenges and difficulties in life and there's going, life isn't going to be perfect. We know this, how? Because Christ said it. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. But when we read scripture and it says that the thief comes only to steal, steal what? Your joy, your peace, your confidence about the future, your hope, your zeal for God and His house, your heart to love people and to care for people. He he's come to steal things, not just possessions. He wants to steal other things, and he wants to kill and destroy. That's the only reason he comes. But Christ says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Or other contexts or other translations would say, have life and have it more abundantly. So whatever you have, if it's apart from Christ, it's not life. Christ can give life because he is life. So when we read in John 10, 10 that he's come to give life, he can only do that because that's who he is. He gives life. He is the giver of life. That word in the Greek, there are three words specifically um, that would describe life, but this word in John 10, 10 is zoe life, and it is distinctly different from the other two because this zoe life is a divine spirit. It is a spiritual understanding of life. It is not a manifestation of material things or what we gather it is, by definition, uncreated, eternal sp- the eternal spirit of God, the divine life, a spirit uniquely possessed by God. Now, as we know that God has come to give us life and life more abundantly, sometimes as we get caught in the pace of the life that we're living now, we could become so overwhelmed with all the pressures that are around us. And I love what the way that John begins because he, he takes our eyes off of the pressures around us and says, look at who Jesus is. Look who he is. Look who he is. And some of you here today, I, I, I just, it's not good enough just to be in God's house. And it's never about what you do in your own works. It's never about your accomplishment. But I think some of us, I think God wants us to see him for who he really is. For many of us, we, we live in this life and we have a fear of man, but God calls us to have a fear of himself. It says the beginning of all wisdom is a fear of the Lord. And for all of us, if we wanna walk in a sense of knowledge and wisdom, we, we should go back to the beginning and, and have a fear of God. Not this, uh, this terrified sense of fear, but this sense of awe and reverence for who he is. I don't strive to do things right. I don't, I don't get up and say, how do I not suck today? How do I not make everyone angry with me today? How do I? No, I don't do that. I get up every day and I, and I look to Jesus. and say, God, I don't know how you're using me the way that you are, but I'm just grateful that you are. And God, I, I cannot get through this day without you. I can't be the husband you called me to be without you in my life. I can't be the father. I can't be the pastor. I, I, I cannot do it without you. I don't know. I think it's in our own arrogance when we begin our journey with the Lord. We learn a few things and we say, I'm good. (laughs) But we have an adversary that has one intention alone, to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants to rob you from your family, to take you out of the house of God, to have you become bitter in your heart towards other people and and to miss Jesus in the midst of everything that's going on. Church, I don't know. I, I guess... When I look out at what God's doing in this house and in this family, I'm overwhelmed. There are so many stories of overcoming and victory. And there are stories of loss and pain. But even in the midst of the stories of loss and pain, there's a sense of joy and hope and that cannot come apart from Christ. Only He can bring that in the midst of tragedy and difficult situations. I really believe with all my heart that God's getting ready to lead us into a season, a unique season. I think the next 21 days are going to be very special. If you fast, fast in a season or in a segment of these 21 days. Maybe you have never fasted before. I'd encourage you to get some resources and next steps and and learn about what fasting is. God's getting ready to do something amongst his people. And I, I don't know what it is, but I, I begin to watch him move in a very supernatural way, in a spiritual way. And I just believe God's gonna use some of you. you you've been a spectator in watching God move. And now God's gonna begin to move through you. And can I just tell some of you something? He's not gonna ask for your permission. <laughs> he just wants your obedience and your willingness Some of you will feel prompted in the week to come to share with people you haven't talked to for years. Some of you will feel prompted to be generous in a way that you've never been generous before in your entire life. Some of you will be asked to say forgiveness, to to ask for forgiveness from someone you haven't talked to for years. I'm telling you, God's gonna prompt you and it might seem insignificant. It's not insignificant. When you say yes to God and you begin to follow him and trust him, Be faithful with the little things. Be faithful with the little things. When we're faithful with little things, God will give us much. In Luke 9, it says that that how can God bless us with, with true riches if we don't even steward well the earthly things that we have? Steward well what God's blessed you with. Don't complain and don't be discontent. Steward well what God has blessed you with so that he can entrust you with more. God's taking us into a new season, and I want you to know in this new season that you're seen by God. I love how John finishes this. He he talks about John the Baptist, and I don't know how many of you heard about John the Baptist in the Gospels, but I love learning about him growing up in Sunday school and kids' church. It was like John was the wild, crazy guy. He was the unkept guy, you know, animal skin uh, all over, and eating milk, uh, uh, not, not milk and honey. He was eating uh, 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 locusts and, uh, and honey, right? Was that it, probably? I'm thinking the land flowing with milk and honey. That's not it. And, um, but in the, in the text, it says that, that John the Baptist gets approached by, by the Pharisees. Why? Because he's baptizing people. And, and the Pharisees, these religious leaders come up and they say, hey, what right do you have to do this? Who are you? Tell us who you are. And I want to read this quickly to you because I want you to hear the heart of this man that was a forerunner to Christ's arrival on the scene. It says that when they came to him in Jerusalem, they sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. This is John the Baptist. He he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I'm not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. No. Finally they said, "Well, who are you? Give us an answer so to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself?" And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, He says, "I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. <laughs> He's coming, and make straight the way for him." <laughs> and John replied, the Pharisees, rather, they said they'd been sent and they continued to question him. Then why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? He says, I baptize with water. But among you stands one who you do not know. And he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And I love it as John saw him the following day. He says, look, the Lamb of God, The Lamb of God who will deal and wipe away the sins of the world. In that moment, it was the catalyst or the pinnacle or the beginning rather of the ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth. And I love, it, it begins so powerfully in the demonstration of, of, of Christ in his divinity and speaks of John the Baptist as the forerunner. And then right after that, it almost seems to be misplaced, but it's not misplaced. It shows the significance and the power and the might of Jesus, but then also the intimacy and the care and the devotion towards each one of us. Right after that, we're still in chapter one. Jesus begins to call some of his disciples. He calls um, Andrew and he calls Peter. And it says, then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He says to Philip, after he called Peter and Andrew, hey, follow me. Philip was kind of like, all right, you know, follows and follows Jesus. That's it. He said, follow me. (laughs) Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about who the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. Can I just tell you, do you know how some people find Jesus? You go out after you found Jesus and you go and you find someone else who's far from Jesus and you say, hey, come and see. That's how it works. It doesn't have to be super spiritual to you. It can just be like, hey, come and see. And this is exactly what Philip did with Nathanael. And he went to him, he says, hey, he's like, "We we found the Messiah. He's like, he is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And I love what Nathaniel says. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip simply looks at him and he says, hey, just come and see. You know, when you invite people to this church, they're gonna have a lot to say. Maybe nothing. Maybe some negative things to say about me, though I've never met them. Maybe some negative things to say about other people in the church, though they've never met them. And maybe someone did have a bad experience in community here. um, And they have something bad to say, but maybe you can simply convey to them Just come and see. You allow the Holy Spirit to minister to people in the moments of worship and for the Word of God to minister to the hearts of people. And you allow the Holy Spirit to do a work that you and I could never manifest in our own strength anyway. But I want to close with this. As Nathaniel got closer to Jesus and he was following Philip, it says in the text that Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching approaching, and said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king. Of Israel. Do you know, in large environments and even in the busyness of this world, you can feel like you're not seen by God. And only you know what that means. I I shared in the previous service that I remember being in seminary and I, I studied in this little room above a two-car garage and it was one of the, it was a great space but it was just one of those spaces, you know when you're in like the attic and the ceilings are like this and like it doesn't matter how often you live there you're always walking, it, well I was, I was always like walking into the walls because it was really but it was a tiny space and I remember studying in the space of inadequacy and insignificance before God and around I was surrounded by these just brilliant people and, and I remember being there and it was like Have you ever felt that feeling like someone's watching you? Like, not in a weird way, but like you're just so, you know. (laughs) And for the first time, it was as if I just felt like God sees me. More than just physically sees me, but like He sees me. Like in the sense of, He knows my heart. He knows my insecurities. He knows the issues I'm struggling with. He, He sees me. And can I just tell you, it doesn't matter how big our God is. There's an intimacy towards Him. There is this desire to know people, to walk with us. He views us as sons and daughters. (laughs) I love this because even at the beginning of verse 10, it says that he was in the world and through the world was made, the world was made through him. And the world did not recognize him. He came, they didn't see him, church. They didn't see him. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. He gave us the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. All of us are born physically, but in order for us to spend eternity with the Father, we must be born again spiritually. Let me pray for you before we end. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and and you don't know what that means to be born again. The Bible describes a situation. And the situation is is that we're separated from God. And we're separated from God because of sin, Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of you might like, well, what's the big deal? Well, the Bible says that the wages of that sin or the consequence of that sin is death. But the gift of God, which is a free gift, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's why John 3.16 is so powerful. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And it continues in verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but rather to save it. And that's where people begin to get a little confused to be saved from what? the consequences of your sin. And so I don't know how you arrived today or how you began watching today, but I want you to know, I I want you to be right in right standing with God before you go. The Bible actually says that your life doesn't really begin until you surrender your life to Jesus. The Bible says that your spirit is dead. It's not alive. But when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, as it says in Romans chapter ten nine, then you are a new creation as the Bible describes. It says the old is gone and the new has come. The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave now dwells and lives within you. <laughs> and you get the greatest title under heaven. You get the right to be called children of God. So if you're here today and you're ready to surrender and say, hey, I, I need Jesus. You know what this is? It's a repentance and an asking of forgiveness for your sins and a calling to Jesus to say, I need you to save me. Not just to be my savior, but be, to be my, the Lord of my life over every aspect of my life. So come on, church, let's lead people into the most significant relationship they'll ever have. Let's lead people into a personal relationship with Jesus. You're gonna, just if you're saying it for the first time, just believe it in your heart. You're not gonna say it by yourself. We're all gonna say it together as a family. So come on, church. Let's say this confidently and loudly for everyone who's saying it for the first time. Repeat this after me. Say, dear heavenly father, I receive your son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and savior. I repent of my sins. Please come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet before we go. Hey, listen, please do not forget as you exit today to grab one of these devotionals. They are actually really heavy. could do some damage with these things. and um, But in addition to that, if you said yes to Jesus, as you exit, you're gonna see people waving uh, these Bibles. Make sure that you grab one. It's a gift from me to you. Um, it's a New Testament Bible. And it's just, listen, you need the word in your life, in this journey with Jesus. You weren't called to do this life alone. You weren't meant to do it alone. So make sure that um, you stop and grab this Bible on your way out today. Um, And for everyone else, if you're joining us online, you can access a devotional through the True North app um, and you can follow along. If you come out next week, we'll have more devotionals as well. So, hey, listen, can I pray for you before you go? Can you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you before you go today. Father, I thank you um, for what you've done for us. I thank you that all the striving and all the effort would have never amounted to anything in our own strength. But Father, I thank you that you meet us right where we are. I thank you that you see us, God. Father, I rebuke sickness in the name of Jesus. Anyone present dealing with sickness or any family members, Father, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Father, we, we thank you for healing and restoration in marriage and in family. Father, we thank you for provision in businesses and in homes in the name of Jesus. Father, help us to steward well That's what you, that which you already blessed us with. Father, I thank you that we are the head and not the tail. The greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Help us to walk out confidently this week the faith that you've called us to walk in. We love you. In your precious and holy name we pray. A faith-filled church said, amen. God bless, guys.